Thank you for joining me on another episode of PR Girl Rant. On this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with communication strategist and politico Troy Blackwell to talk about campaign trails, politics, and his time in the White House during the Obama administration. A champion for diversity, Troy is currently the head of press logistics for philanthropist Tom Steyer. In this position, he manages the travel press and broadcast operations. Prior to this, he worked as a press advance lead for Kamala Harris's presidential campaign and an associate in the Obama White House. In 2019, he was the senior director for PRSA New York's Big Apple Awards, where he awarded Beyonce's longtime publicist, Yvette Noel Scher. He was also the youngest member of the Board of Advisors for the Museum of Public Relations and Board of Directors for the Black Public Relations Society of New York and PRSA's Tri-State. This was truly an insightful conversation. I learned so much. I might even have a new career. (laughs) Take a listen. So where were you when you first heard about the quarantine? And how much of the news cycle affected you mentally as well as the work you do? Um, And so at the time I was traveling um, and I was staying in San Francisco doing some political work and I started to get nervous um, because I started to see how serious it was. And then I started seeing on the news that countries, you know, were were starting to lock down travel, that, you know, people started to die from the virus virus. So I started to freak out because I was in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know, my family was in New York. Right. And I'm just kind of thinking like, God forbid, either one of us, either I get sick or someone in my family gets sick, you know, we're like halfway across the country from each other. Right. Um, so, so, you know, uh, God willing, I was able to leave San Francisco, come back to New York. And be yeah, and, and be with my family. And I think it's been like a really hard uh, time, you know, just coping with the kids not being in, in school and, and for the elderly who are definitely susceptible to this. You know, my mom had symptoms, wasn't really feeling well. Um, someone who I worked with on a campaign had actually passed away from COVID. Oh, wow. So it started to like freak my mind out a little bit and I just kind of wanted to like, you know, kind of be in my bubble for, for a little bit of a, uh, some time. But yeah. I think for me, coping wise, which is really hard, as a PR person is I try not to consume so much of the news daily, exactly. which is really, <laughs> it's so hard because I think as PR people, anyone who works in communications or media, you're, you know, you're trained to kind of digest, you know, the news digest all day on top of it. And dissect the news differently because it's like, you know, what's real, what's just, you know, hype. And you're looking at the news differently, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so that started to freak me out because it's like all day coverage and, you know, journalists who were normally taking pictures for other things were no longer taking those pictures. Everybody started focusing on COVID. There were reporters um, that I've met on the campaign trail over the last year who normally would be covering the election, but they're like, you know, we're not taking any pictures or covering any election stories. We're only focusing on COVID. And so every little thing you could think of was COVID related. If you open up, you know, uh, you know, if you go to Vogue and, and you're reading about fashion, it's something related to COVID. Right. You're talking about food and the meat plants. It's like related to COVID. So it was kind <laughs> of like, you know, it was like everywhere you go, it was COVID-19, this or that. Um, so I tried to like take everything in in increments uh, for my own sanity. Um, and then I think really for me, like I'm a big person into art. Okay. So I kind of like used the downtime to like dabble in some art, um, you know, and it sounds, there, are, there aren't a lot of stores open, like Michael's and things are closed, but I went and got like some poster boards and oh, nice. some paint. Yeah, and I've just kind of been like hanging with my nephew, just kind of like painting and, and playing around with it. I found it to kind of be like art therapy for me, just kind of like take you out the zone. And- you mentioned the campaign trail a lot, so I will go into, you know, your background and what you do. You sent me a bio, and I was like, wait a minute, this is a short bio, and I know, Choi, there's more to him than this. So give us a little bit, how did you get started in doing political PR? Um, yeah, give us some more. This is, this is a little bit, you know, this is too short for me. <laughs> okay, um, how did I get started in political PR? 
it actually was kind of like a snowball effect. Um, I originally was interested in advertising because I felt like when you saw all the billboards, um, you know, you saw people who did not look like me or weren't from my community. You didn't see a lot of people of color. Um, you didn't have that representation um, in advertising. So that's where my interest naturally drew. Um, and as I got more into advertising, um, I really kind of found the niche in terms of like issue-based campaigns, okay. um, things, you know, things related to like, you know, LGBTQ issues, criminal justice, immigration. And I started to kind of see this bridge between issues that I was personally affected by and cared about. And I saw the advertising industry and I kind of saw this need, but there really was kind of um, a, a gap um, in terms of not having people related to those issues working on those sort of campaigns. Um, and so kind of, I'm maybe a little bit, kind of going a little bit in, in circles here, but when I was taking my interest in advertising, and I started working for this guy named Kevin Powell from Brooklyn. Yes. He was running for con he was no, running Kevin. for Congress. Mm -hmm. Yes, Kevin is so amazing. amazing. So I started working for him. I was doing comms for his campaign when he was running for Congress. And this was back in 2009, 2010. Okay. Um, and so I worked on his campaign, got to meet a couple of people, got to go to a lot of events with him. And from that, I ended up getting a job with a nonprofit called Canva, which is also based in Brooklyn. Um, and they did a lot of work with helping uh, uh, survivors of domestic violence and uh, LGBTQ youth specifically in Brooklyn. So I did some comms work there and that kind of like snowballed into me getting a job at the city council for two years. Somebody um, who had met me on Kevin's campaign knew that I was at Canva and told me about an opening and literally it just kind of happened kind of in a snowball effect going from a campaign to a nonprofit, right. then somebody, you know, put in a word. Um, and then, so all of that eventually, you know, kind of came together for me. Um, and then in 2016, I did a fellowship at the White House for over the Obama administration. Yes. Um, so I did comms for Valerie Jarrett, um, who was President Obama's senior advisor and she oversaw the Office of Public Engagement. Um, and really that was the highlight of my career. I know, exciting for you at that time. How old were you at that time, if you don't mind me asking? I am 28 now, so I must have been 24, 25 at the time. Ooh, nice. <laughs> yeah, so I was, so I was pretty young, because when I, when I started working for Kevin, I was literally 18 at the time. I was in college when you know, he started his congressional campaign. So I literally started, as soon as I, I was 18, I started, you know, working on campaigns. Um, but working for the Obama administration, that was super amazing. Um, I think one, the the historical significance of it, one him being, you know, the first uh, uh, person of black descent, African American in the United States to, to hold that office. And I think we had um, working there specifically under great people like Valerie, who has been a leader for years, specifically in the Chicago community, seeing the way they handled um, issues such as criminal justice, taking a stance on immigration, some of the major milestones um, in terms of what they provided for uh, females in the workplace, what they provided for LGBTQ employees. I mean, it was amazing all around. Uh, yeah. Valerie is, uh, she, she's, she's tough but she knows what she wants. She's a great person to learn from. Mm -hmm. I think she has a lot of wisdom. And the one thing that I walked away from the Obama administration always telling myself was that you deserve to be there, right? Yeah. You know, for, for, for me, you know, I'm a kid from the Bronx, from New York. Um, neither of my parents had finished college. So to be able to walk through the gates of the White House every day and sit in meetings and interact with people who were working on such important work. It's one of those things where you kind of feel like you're a duck underwater and you have to constantly, you know, like not freak out like you got yeah. this. <laughs> <Not stand out. laughs> right. So it was like a self-affirmation to myself that that you worked really hard. And so to be from where you're from and for your age, you, you deserve to be here. You're here because of your work ethic and, and everything that you put in. Um, 
And one of the things that I admired so much about President Obama is that he always said, no matter who was the most senior or the most junior person in the room, everyone's opinion mattered. So that was kind of a top-down thing. Anytime we would have meetings in the White House um, with some of our superiors or Valerie was holding a meeting, no one was allowed to leave a meeting unless everyone stated their opinion. And I thought that was, yeah. And that was a really powerful thing because, you know, you sit in meetings a lot of the times and meetings will end and you won't hear a lot of people's opinions. You'll hear the same two, three people, you know, um, speaking up and then there'll be people who walk away with never really being able to give their opinion. And so that was a top down culture that everyone, no matter how senior, junior, your opinion matters and no one's leaving the room until everyone states their opinion or provide some sort of feedback on what we're working on. That's a beautiful um, thing because sometimes, you know, and I love that you, you know, were there and you felt like you belonged from the top. And, you know, sometimes we as um, people of color, we sometimes have what we call imposter syndrome where we feel like we don't belong and we either take a back seat, we uh, make ourselves small, but to have someone like Valerie to, you know, or have someone like um, President Obama who gave, gave you that, that knowledge or acknowledgement that, you know, you too belong here and make, makes everyone a part of, no matter how small the task was or how large the task was, you guys felt equal. And that's an amazing place to be at such a young age because sometimes people don't have that. You know what I mean? You come out of, at 18, you starting where you started from. Who knows what happened in between for, some, for certain folks and we don't feel that we belong in certain places. Although we have the knowledge, we have the capability. Sometimes we don't feel that, but coming from someone that can, you know, make you feel that way is exciting and amazing. Yeah, I think it, it's definitely the highlight of my career. It's something that even pushing forward, it's something that I tell younger people that I mentor, um, any new opportunity that I walk into, I always go in with that mindset that, again, and we see it even in, in PR and in, and in ad campaigns, there's this kind of imposter syndrome, um, but there's also, there's not always a lot of seats at the table for us. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember like a couple of years ago, just thinking uh, back, I think it was the Kylie Jenner ad with Pepsi, mm -hmm. um, you, you know, and people were saying that it was a little bit insensitive, just saying that you can just, you know, pop a Pepsi and that like, you know, police won't, you know, attack you or anything of that nature. And I think right there goes that like, who did we have in the room? Did, who had a seat at the table? Did everyone get a chance to, to give their opinion and feedback? And so that's why even from the experiences that I've been given, I tried to put that forth and say, look, again, any opportunity I go into, mm -hmm. everyone who is in the room, your opinion matters. Sometimes, as they say, it, it could be the intern that can save a campaign, right? Exactly. You, you need to be able to kind of give people, uh, embolden people and, and, and make them feel that their voice does matter because it truly does. Um, so I'm super thankful for that. And I think that's why I carry a lot of the work that I do specifically around diversity mm -hmm. and any opportunity that, that I have. I try to make sure that I create like a diverse group of people around me because different opinions and, and different walks of life, it just helps you understand things so much better. And that is truly a strength. Definitely. You and I met, um, I, yeah, last year when I attended for my first time for the BPRS um, Beepers New York with Tracy Mendelson. And from there, I don't know, you walked into the room and I was just like, I want to meet him and I need to, yeah, be in the same spaces and rooms because you just carried yourself, just pleasant smile. And it was just amazing. And then after that, you needed um, volunteers. And I helped out with the um, PRSA New York Big Apple Awards where you awarded our queen, <laughs> Yvette Noel Shore, um, yes. you know, PR extraordinaire. You awarded her with the great award. And I just love, even in that space, I just love the way you carried yourself and how you made everyone, again, feel a part of things. And you just, you know, you ran the room. And sometimes in public relations, we have to do that. And sometimes we may seem, you know, forceful or that we're doing too much, but you have to command that space, especially a uh, person of color and, you know, whatever the dynamics are, we have to feel that we're running the space so that others will recognize us or see us, but do it with, you know, that we know what we're doing. So how, was, how is it for you working with BPRSA and the um, Beepers New York? Yeah, so, I mean, 
just thinking about all of that, that was such a, a great night and a great opportunity. And, you know, I'm, I'm super thankful that I met you. Um, with Beepers and Tracy, Tracy's a, a dear friend. I love what she's doing with uh, Beepers, which is the Black PR Society, um, the New York chapter. Um, and I think there's a real need for that because in the PR space, there's a lot of work being done on diversity. Mm -hmm. um, but again, there's still a hole in terms of where do specifically Black practitioners fall in? Is there a space for us to kind of meet and interact with each other, hear different projects that we have going on, figuring out how we can best support each other? Right. And that's really what I see happening with Beepers. Um, I think Beepers has allowed me to meet so many other Black practitioners, specifically here in New York. Um, and I know that many of us are able to help and support each other on different projects. So just kind of having that, that coalition, it feels like a family. Like, I see what you're doing. Your work is important. Let me know how I can support you. If I need support, I'll let you know. It's this kind of family building each other up thing. Um, and, I, and I really appreciate that with Beepers. In terms of PRSA New York, I was on uh, the board. Um, so I was the senior director for the Big Apple Awards. Um, and that's one of our biggest uh, uh, galas for the year. It's where we raise the most money. Um, and it's also where we work with so many different PR agencies. Um, I think last year when we did the Big Apple Awards, there were 60 different PR agencies represented in terms of either winning an award or being nominated for an award. We also shined a spotlight on um, PR practitioners under the age of 35. Mm -hmm. And so when, so when we were looking for someone to award and looking for someone who would be able to kind of command the room, I felt like Yvette Noel Sher was the perfect person. Um, you know, for those who may not be familiar with her, she's a longtime publicist to Beyonce. She's also <laughs> represented, you know, Prince and Mariah Carey, but she has an extremely- <laughs> amazing roster, but she also has an amazing story as well. Oh my God, you know, I was she, thinking about that. Just even when I listened to her story, just how, like how she started coming, because she comes from Grenada and I'm also from, my grandmother's from Grenada, so we have that connection. And she was on another podcast and I'm Troy, she was just telling her story and I can close my eyes and see everything that she was talking about, just her humble beginnings, leaving Grenada to come to New York, living in Brooklyn, meeting her husband. It was just so she, and again, another person that makes you feel inclus included. You yes. know what I mean? I love it. Yes. And that was, that's literally what the theme of our, um, the, the Big Apple Awards last year was about. It was all about diversity and inclusivity and, and kind of recognizing champions. And I felt like she, she was that. She had this amazing career, this amazing story. Um, and in, even in her speech, she mentioned how after working for some of these uh, high profile celebrities for years, she would go on photo shoots um, and she would say, hey, I'm here, you know, for this project. Uh -huh. And, you know, the clerk would say to her, um, oh, you have to wait outside. We're waiting for Yvette Noel Sure, because <laughs> the name, because the name is a, a French German. And she would say, well, that's me. And that's they would me. kind of act shocked or surprised right. that the person that they were waiting for was this, was this Black woman. And so I thought that was really powerful to have an event where you had you know, 60 different PR agencies. Most of the heads of the agencies are predominantly white and white men to be specific. And so to have this strong figure, this black woman with this outstanding career, give this speech and talking about why diversity is important, I thought was just like perfect. I think she embodied everything that we wanted to for the evening. Why do you think there's such disparities within the PR profession between practitioners of color versus our counterparts? Sometimes we're not afforded the same opportunities. That's a loaded question, but I think it's for two reasons. I think on one end, on one end the disparity is that a lot of uh, practitioners of color, Black practitioners, don't really know that they can make a career out of PR. Right. I think a lot of times when we think about college education, you know, we're promoted to um, more traditional studies like 
why don't you be a doctor or a lawyer or an architect, especially if you come from, you know, an immigrant household that's kind of ingrained. So when you say, I want to be a publicist or I want to work in PR, I think sometimes our families and communities are kind of like, what is that? Are you going to be able to make a living? What is this career? I, I don't really understand what that is. So I think, um, being able to kind of educate some of the the younger generation and having that in a more academic setting like this is what pr is this is why it's valuable i think that's one start i think the second start is for those of us who do um want to get into pr and, and and go down this route um the disparity really comes in terms of opportunity right a lot of these jobs are there's a job opening it's oh if you know someone can you recommend someone right and depending on where you grew up or where you went to school just by default a lot of people if you depending on your community that's who your friend circle may be so if you went to a predominantly if you went to like an hbcu right your classmates would predominantly be black if you went to a primary white institution your classmates would be white that's where you would develop your friendships so i think in terms of like network being a, a big thing putting in a word a lot of the leadership who happens to be white at some of the pr companies when there's job openings and they say hey if you have a friend who's interested recommend them they may not have a network necessarily of of black friends or call or you know former colleagues that they can recommend for those opportunities yeah. i think you know i think also the third thing is a pipeline right um there's a lot of talk about like diversity again being this really big thing in the PR industry. Um, so you have companies who are now trying to get students who are graduating college into like entry level positions, but part of being able to climb the ladder is being able to see yourself in more than just an entry level position. So if you're someone, if you're a practitioner with 10 or 15, 20 years ex experience, you're not going to look for an entry level position. You're going to look for mid-level or senior level. Um, and it just so happens that a lot of uh, those practitioners who do come in at the entry level, even if they do good work, they're not as easily promoted. So when it comes to seeing, when it comes to seeing um, leaders of color in the PR industry, they're very far and few. Um, when I think of some of the black practitioners I know who are either VPs or managing directors, I can probably name like three <laughs> or four in the New York City area that, that I know of um, from all the organizations I'm involved in. And so I think if you're an entry-level practitioner, you're coming into a PR agency, you're kind of starting out as a, an account coordinator or an account executive, and you're doing great work and say you get passed over the, for that promotion, you know, once or twice, and then you look around and, and you kind of see at the company, well, a lot of the leadership that I see that's account directors and VPs, none of them are similar to me. None of them reflect my community. None of them look like me. What is the likelihood of me being promoted to that level? Definitely. I also think it's, um, you mentioned opportunity and network. I'm coming from um, independence. I'm an independent practitioner. I am not, you know, at a, a brick and mortar. I don't have anybody over me. I do everything, you know, solopreneur on my own. So I think also when it comes to that, we're looked at differently because we are independent. So even if I have a great roster of clients, I, th I think sometimes, you know, the ones that come from the bigger um, firms look at the independence a little bit differently and we don't get the same, you know, I don't know. What do you think same about independent? Yeah, we don't get the same responses all around, whether it be from other um, colleagues, you know, depending, especially also depending on what your roster looks like. All, I think that's one thing. Um, so what do you think about independence versus those that are in-house? I agree with you 100%. I think there is, it, it's kind of this idea of unconscious bias, right? There is a bias, there are biases based on whether or not you're at an agency or not. Um, and I think for us, if you're coming from specifically as Black practitioners going into the space, I feel like the way it's viewed is that if you're a black practitioner at an agency, um, you can name any of the top, you know, big agencies, the Edelman's, the BCWs, it's kind of a form of validation, right? Like they feel like, okay, this person has worked in this setting. I, I, 
I'm sure that they understand the ropes or the expectations of what we're looking for, right? But on the other hand, if you have independent practitioners, specifically Black independent practitioners, it's not viewed that way. Um, and I, so there is a double standard there because, and again, it goes with biases, is that if you are a white independent practitioner, you're viewed as being entrepreneurial. You're, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're starting up your own business. You know, you're kind of going into business for yourself. It's viewed in a very positive light, mm -hmm. but specifically for black practitioners, when we're do it, when we do it, it's kind of, how come you couldn't get a job at a big agency? Right. Like, you know, exactly. <laughs> Isn't that like, weird? That's a funny question because I, I have worked at an agency. I just decided to go independent and do it on, you know, on my own. And I think it's all about showing and proving and, you know, letting my work speak for itself rather than the you know, other way around. We talked about mentorship and what that means. I really like Troy's views on what mentorship should look like. And, and speaking on mentorship, one thing that I do want to say that I think a lot of people don't think about is people uh, tend to view mentorship as a top bottom situation, mm. kind of thinking like, you know, the mentor is, is the older person in the relationship, the mentee is younger, right? right. And, I, and I like to think of mentorship more so about kind of a horizontal effect, right? Like, it, it can be your peers. It doesn't matter yes. if the person is older or younger uh, than you. It can even be someone in the same workplace. You know, you can mentor somebody who, um, you know, on paper has a more senior position than you. Mentorship really is about trading skills and opportunities, right? And so, you know, someone who's younger than me can mentor me on something that I may not be uh, uh, proficient in, right? There's so much that's that's changing in our industry. There's so much learning that, that can be done. And so I want people um, to not think of mentorship as this kind of top-down thing, but think of it kind of full circle. It's kind of like, again, how people say who's to your left and who's to your right. That's part of mem That's part of mentorship. Your peers, the people that, that you sit with, and regardless if someone's title on paper is senior to you or they're older or younger than you, there's so much learning that can be done, cross-learning. Exactly. And, and if it's, you find the right mentor, the right mentor, you know, whether it's a program or an actual person, you know, I want somebody that will call me out on my stuff or add value to what I'm doing. So again, whether you're younger or older, I'm amazing. Yes, definitely. So I am interested in finding out about what it's like working on a campaign trail, because I imagine that can be stressful. <laughs> it can be. Politics in itself. I, politics, I don't even... There's two things I said when I started, you know, this profession. I wasn't going to do finance and politics. I stayed away from it, clear across the board. Those two things I wasn't going to do. So talk to me about that. Yes, uh, campaigns can be very stressful. Politics is very stressful. I'm sure everyone who's watching the news is is stressed about by state of affairs. Um, but working on a campaign, I always compare it to startup culture, which okay. is why I love campaigns, because I feel like if you want the opportunity to have more responsibility, you want the opportunity um, to be able to wear many hats, I feel like campaigns are really good uh, grounds for that. Um, so for example, this cycle, the 2020 election, I've been on two campaigns this year. I spent uh, a year working on Kamala Harris's presidential campaign. And then when her campaign suspended, I spent three months working with philanthropist Tom Steyer. Okay. Um, and so, you know, before presidential elections, I, I, I did, you know, a congressional campaign, which was Kevin's uh, congressional race in Brooklyn. Um, you know, I helped out with uh, city council races here in New York City. But really, when I got involved in presidential uh, campaigns was in 2016. So after I had left the White House um, in 2016, and Hillary Clinton started running for president, people that I knew ha who had left uh, previous positions in government went to go work for her campaign. Um, and particularly, there's an, a department that a lot of people don't know about, which is called Advance. Okay. Um, and, and Advance is really kind of like 
the department where all the traveling and event logistics happen. It's really a team of like um, really gritty uh, event planners. Kind I of love event working production. with the advanced team because I do events as well. And when they come to like the conferences that I do, like the National Black Urban League Conference where I met, with, um, where I met Kamala Harris, um, I'm like, oh, the advanced team was so dope. I was just like, and the way they were like, well, I was like, yes, this is, this is it. I love them. <laughs> It's, 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 I always joke and say it's like literally the best, the last best job in politics <laughs> is, is the world of advance. I mean, it's a really cool job. And again, it's really, it's about like traveling event planners. It's very event production based. Um, and so you could, you kind of have two areas of advance. You have traditional advance, which is more so like setting up the actual event space, you know, security protocol. And then you have something called press advance. And press advance are really the event production people that help with all the press logistics. So in 2016, a colleague of mine, when Hillary Clinton was running for president, um, had reached out and basically said, you know, Hillary is obviously traveling around the country. She's going state to state, you know, Advance is doing all these big events for, for Hillary, but we need a press person. We need someone who's going to be able to kind of help with all the press logistics for the big events, like figuring out, okay, what size press riser are we going to be on? How many cameras are coming on? If she's going to do a seg, you know, if she's doing a segment, is there hair and makeup? You know, what kind of mic? Is, like all those logistical pieces that mm -hmm. go into setting up for press, which, which a lot of people, you know, don't know how much work goes into. They said that they needed someone. They had advancers, but they didn't have advancers who understood um, press or, or broadcast or anything in regards to that. So I had came on and did a couple of trips for the campaign. Um, and that was when I really got involved in presidential campaigns. And I got to, you know, travel and see how setting up for the press was in 2016. And as you can imagine, there's a lot of security. You have a flood of cameras. You have to go through so much, so much, so much protocol. Um, but it really helped me see the other side of press, right? Because as a PR person, I'm normally doing strategy, I'm doing pitching, you know, you're securing articles or interviews, but then I got to be on the other side and see, okay, how is the person who's working with broadcast cameras um, and, and setting up the actual interviews, what does that look like? All those uh, particularly media operations. Um, so I did that and people that I knew had contacted me this year and said that they needed someone similar for Kamala, for Senator Harris's campaign. So I spent, you know, the year traveling with Senator Harris, being able to kind of set up all the press operations for all of her public events. Um, and then I went to Tom Steyer and was the head of that. And when I say like startup culture campaigns, <laughs> it's like you literally have a certain amount of time to kind of make something work or not, right? It's kind of like, look, we have less than 12 months to kind of help get this person elected or at least get this person in the top three or five and you kind of have to pull your best and brightest everyone has to kind of reach out to their networks and you're kind of scrambling and you're traveling um so even though new york is home i spent a year on the road you know i got to see parts of the country I never thought I would see like South Carolina and, and, and Iowa and going to parts of Washington state. But I think it's, it's, it's very tiresome work. Yeah. Um, you know, your day is, is completely packed. There were days where, you know, I couldn't even return, you know, text messages or calls to my family because the days were so packed. Yeah. You're consistently, you know, um, you know, traveling. And I think especially, you know, kind of like forwarding to what was happening this year, being on the road traveling, you know, in January and February and hearing all this stuff about the coronavirus, for those of us who were on campaigns, we still had to travel at that time. So going through airports and thinking about all of that was such a scary time. Going back to your original question, like how is the campaign trail, I think, Campaign trails are, are amazing, I think, again, for anyone who is interested in learning, you know, how a, a presidential campaign works. Um, anyone who's interested in, like, traveling and seeing different parts of the country um, and also gaining new responsibilities, I think working on a campaign is the right fit. 
um, because again, it's, it's startup culture. You kind of have a goal. You kind of have a time limit for for how long you know that you can make uh, this work, and you know you kind of put your your best foot forward and you leave it all on the field. Um, and you know, I think for those of us who have done campaigns, that's how I like to think of it. I think that we we did the best we could. We left it on the field, um, and you walk away with so many memories. You know. So talk to me about how you go about choosing which campaign or politician to work with. I'm sure it's not an easy task. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, when you talk about politics, everyone has an opinion, right? Everyone thinks someone is doing a good job or someone's not doing enough or some here's where somebody can do better. Um, my viewpoint is, is that, um, I focus on the issues that are important to me, and I think everyone should. You know, you have everyone has a core set of issues that matter to them, right? And for me, I can say out loud that some of my core issues are things like criminal justice. I care about juvenile justice. I care about immigration. Um, you know, uh, my family's from Puerto Rico. I care about how, what our federal government is doing after Hurricane Maria. Um, you know, I care about LGBTQ issues. So given that, like, I have a core set of issues um, that are important to me and personal to me, I try to find politicians or, or leaders who are working on those issues in that space that I see that are doing work that interests me or that I feel that are help, you know, uh, making progress in those areas. Yeah. And so, of course, you know, politicians are people, you know, you have so much that you have to do. There are multiple issues that you have to address at, at one time. There are multiple meetings. You have so many people working for you. Um, and I think a lot of people kind of forget that there's so much that 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 goes into the bigger picture everything we see on tv or, or social media it's not as black and white as it seems it's usually a lot more gray and complex than we think um so i i try to give people the benefit of the doubt um but again for those people who i you know leave nasty things on twitter and say this politician's terrible that politician can do better you know, I just address it as, look, I'm working on the issues that are important to me. And this person that I'm working for or, or has worked for was either working on things um, related to that. And that's, and that's why I worked for them. Yeah, because can you imagine the, well, we've seen the people that have worked for our current um, <laughs> president. I could just, own, you know, imagine if I had to do something like that, I'll just, I'll just fire myself. I'm just like, you know what? I can't do this. I got to go. <laughs> yeah. That he's I mean, a loose cannon. It, he's he's such a loose cannon. I mean, it's I mean, our our, our state of affairs are, are are crumbling right before us. But you know, as I say, all politics um, is personal. Like yeah. right, like everyone has an issue, whether they say it out loud or not. Everyone has an issue or two or or a list of things that are important to them and, and personal to them for various reasons, and that's why people come out on you know one end of the fence. So I think it's just really important for people to think about what is important to you, what do you think needs to get done, and if you can support people who are working to make strides on those particular issues or, or in those areas, if you have the skill set, why not help them? Definitely, definitely. What has been, throughout your career, what has been the most memorable campaign or politician to work with? You know, Kamala Harris is big. So was she one of your favorites? She is one of my favorites. She's definitely, she's in my top three. Definitely one of my favorites. Um, I think what I admired about her and her leadership, very similar to Obama, Obama's in my top three as well. President Obama and Senator Harris um, are definitely in my top three people to have worked for. Um, but what I admired the most about them, aside from, you know, the policy, um, you know, I, I'm a Democrat. I, I like to think that I'm progressive. Both politicians have worked on issues that are important to me, but I think as people, right? And I think being a young person of color, um, coming from a disenfranchised community, I think looking at what both President Obama and Senator Harris have done for their staff, I think is, is a really um, important stride in diversity, right? Because we talk a lot about diversity and how important it is. We know that there's a lot of initiatives happening in PR, um, but then what about diversity in government? 
right? Like, are the people that we elect to office, is their staff diverse? Do we have diverse people behind the scenes helping to elevate some of the issues and concerns that we're working on? Um, and specifically for Senator Harris with her campaign, she was very adamant about diversity. Almost more than half of, the, of her presidential campaign she were women, mostly in leadership roles. At least half of the campaign were people of color. Um, and a little bit more than half identified as LGBTQ. And I think that to me was really important because when you're running for office, especially something such as president or, or governor of the Senate, people want to usually want to work with veterans, people who have been doing this for 20, 30 years. And I think it's really symbolic that with her run, both in the Senate and on her presidential campaign, she's given a lot of opportunities to underrepresented people. She's given a lot of opportunities to women and people of color. Um, it's definitely noticeable in the uh, President Obama's campaign, both in 08 and 2012, and people kind of uh, contribute that or attribute that to him hiring young people and doing really well on digital was that he gave a lot of young people an opportunity. A lot of people um, fresh out of college in 07 went to go work on President Obama's first campaign. And so I think to me, that's really important because we always talk about how important it is to get young people politically engaged, how important it is for people from disenfranchised communities to have a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. And when I look at President Obama's career, and when I look at Senator Kamala Harris's career, they have been consistent in giving opportunities to people who have been traditionally underrepresented. Definitely. What do you think would make younger people be more involved? You know, what's missing? I think right now it's, it's, it's a mix of two, well, multiple things, but top two for me is relatability to the issue and having a familiar face. So I think when I say relatability, I mean, most people, because politics is divisive, um, because sometimes some of the stuff can be wonky, people are disinterested. But when something personally affects you, you become interested, right? There is a lot happening right now with the current administration in regards to immigration. Tons of students who are under DACA, um, you know, are no longer able to fit under that category. Those students are affected. They care about what's happening to them. For those of us who uh, have friends or family who have been incarcerated for petty crimes um, or wrongly convicted of something, criminal justice is important, important to you. So I think when you have relatability on an issue, not necessarily a politician, but you find an issue that you're interested in, something that's passionate to you, then you can find people who are working on those things. Um, the second is having a familiar face. A lot of young people, um, anyone, you kind of want to hear from someone who relates to you and your generation, right? If you're an 18-year-old, you know, maybe hearing political pundits who are, you know, 60 plus may not necessarily, it may not necessarily engage you, right? But if you're hearing political commentary from those who are maybe 18 or 19, that will interest you because that person is speaking, one, about an issue you relate to, but two, that person's in your age group. And so I think that's where the disconnect is, is that we don't have, we don't really have a platform for a lot of young people to speak about politics. And then the second is that I think a lot of people are still trying to figure out separating the politician from the issues that they care about. Definitely. I mean, I think that goes for young and old, because I know for me, um, right now I'm still teeter-tottering. I don't know which way I will go. And it's just, you know, even in these uncertain times, it's like, I don't think people are saying what I want to hear. But again, I think you know, I just need to pay attention more to the issues and see, who, it's like, you know, circle which box, who fits best, I don't know. And it's just a hard place to be right now. And I know when we were setting up this interview, you did mention, and I was like, you know, I wanted to hear your concerns. You said your greatest concern for, you have great concerns for the country and our leadership. You're in it, you're like in the trenches. What does that mean to you? Because you see it, you, you know, you see more than we do sometimes. So what is your greatest concern? I'm, I'm, yeah. I don't, I'm scared. 
No, I'm definitely scared as well. I think I have two major concerns. Um, the first concern, which is which is very relevant to the times, is that I think um, COVID-19 is going to have an impact on the election. Um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, right now states are talking about reopening businesses and kind of getting things, um, you know, back on track, right? But as we heard from the CDC and we heard from Dr. Fauci at some of the press conferences, there is an expectation that there will be a second wave of COVID to come in the fall. Now, the fall is when the elections will be taking place. Most of the poll workers and people who work the elections are the elderly, which are one of the most which are one of the most at risk groups. Also, when it comes to uh, polling sites, you can't practice social distancing in that regard. Poll stations and in schools, anywhere your voting site will be, will probably have a long line. It will be crowded. Um, it's in November, so it will be cold. Um, so I think thinking about those things, like one, if people do come out and, and vote. And, and there is a second wave of COVID, how does that affect the greater population in terms of people getting infected? Also, if, if there is a second wave, will people have the same turnout, right? You know, if people are in the middle and they are not necessarily persuaded for one of the other candidate, they may just say, well, you know, if, if, if I'm sick or there's things going on, I may just like kind of stay home and, and not vote. So I do think that COVID is going to play um, a, a big factor in the upcoming election. I think this is why like mail-in voting is really important, but as we see the current president is, is not supporting that. Um, he's not really supporting the, the postal office on aid. So that to me is like the really big concern because if we have low voter, low voter turnout, um, if we don't really have you know, mail-in ballots so people can protect themselves, it, we, he may easily just get reelected, which yeah. we may have, you know, which, which will be a horror. And it will be a horror. What he's banking on. So, you know, because we as human beings, we're just like, oh, I didn't get a ballot. Oh, okay. I'm not going outside. Well, you know, we, we're just so dismissive with certain things. But I think more than ever, and I love, you know, what Miss Obama is doing with her um, campaign and trying to get more people to vote. I just think we need to do more because it's so important this this time around it's really important i hope folks are seeing that i don't know who the support who supports him i don't know how they can support him so i hope that people see that why this is so important that we vote this year i don't know what else to say i don't know how else people cannot understand what's happening or why we're so you know we can be so complacent and dismissive with certain issues that will affect you in the long run because i know we, we're we're uh, people of compl we complain you know humans we just complain about things instead of making a difference and I always have this argument with my mom is like you know oh I want to see change what's happening here but you can say that internally to me we can argue about this all day but what are you doing on the ground like who are you writing to who are your congress people who you know we're not doing those things because we just get um uh, let the next person handle it and I think people do that a lot and I'm guilty oh, of absolutely. You know, trying not to be that person, you know, on a consistent basis. But there's certain things we just say, you know what, love the next, they got it. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. I think, I mean, everything you said, I completely agree with. I think there's so much power in a vote. You know, being able to kind of go to a ballot box, check off who you want, putting that, trusting that person, um, you know, to influence policies that are important to you. That is a very, very powerful thing. And so I, I just hope that that is uh, something that is not terribly affected in the fall. Um, and I think as we've seen, you know, on the news and then in recent articles, you know, uh, black and brown communities are disproportionately affected by COVID right now. Yeah. Um, and so when you think about that, given that there's a higher rate of, of COVID right now in black and brown communities, a large population of black and brown communities are democratic. So depending on how, again, if there's a second wave, depending on the number of deaths, the number of illnesses, um, you know, anything that can, can prevent uh, that community, our community from voting, will play a role in the election. So I think there's also looking at that statistics as well, is that if this is disproportionately affecting black and brown people who are largely uh, registered as Democrats, if they can't come out and vote or they're disenfranchised from voting in, in, in the fall, this can easily, you know, be a reelection for Trump. 
Definitely. And my last question would be, you know, as a citizen of this great country, what advice do you have for us? Like, what are the top three things we can do or start doing to change, you know, so that we can see a difference? Yeah, yeah. I think the top three things that I, that I would recommend, um, really don't think of everyone as a stranger. Right now, we are all in it together. I think, you know, it may feel like everyone is, you know, locked in or quarantined in their apartments, but I think we are really all in it together. And I think if there is someone that needs help, um, any act of kindness goes a long way, right? You don't necessarily have to be out on, on the front lines, extremely grateful for, for those that are, but if you're not able to, to do that, that is totally understandable. I mean, you can donate $5 to Meals on Wheels, right? Who helps provide meals to the elderly in our city um, through like the Department of Aging. Um, you know, if there's, you can help give $5 to uh, a fund that's helping victims of domestic violence or child abuse during these times. Little acts of kindness really go um, a long way. So I think that's the, the first thing. And I think the second thing um, for me is really using this time to kind of figure out where do you want to see the country go in the next couple of months? Like everything that we're seeing on, on the news, digesting and dissecting the information, pay very much attention to what's happening. Um, and I, I really think people should, you know, be very concerned, um, be on alert, but also pay attention, right? Because I think COVID has definitely taken over the new cycle, but there's still legislation that's going to be pushed through. There's still an election that's happening. There's still issue-based things that are happening that are not getting the media attention. Um, so if there's something that you care about, definitely look into it. Um, I recently saw that like Ben and Jerry's was pushing uh, Congress to support a bill that would help um, uh, those who were formerly incarcerated for possession of marijuana mm -hmm. to, uh, to help them get on their feet and, and to help with some of the racial disparities. Um, I'm not sure all the, the details of that bill, but I saw that they've been pushing that on, on their website and on social media. And I was like, well, I'm surprised that that hasn't gotten as much attention as it has. So I do think that even though COVID is the center attention of the news right now, and it is important, um, don't let that completely take away from all the other things that are happening. Wow, so many great takeaways from this interview. Thank you so much, Troy, for joining me today. I really enjoyed our conversation. I love learning about your journey to the White House and beyond. Also, thank you for sharing your thoughts on steps we should take as a community to move our country forward. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time, bye.